If you're studying for the CISSP, CCSP, or CISM certification, you'll probably get a lot of benefit from the WANA Practice app at wanapractice.com. Hundreds of practice questions unavailable anywhere else, all in a simple interactive format, which you can access through any device with a browser. Check out the show notes for a discount code for half off the regular price. Wanna practice? Success and certification is in your hands. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the sensuous sounds of infosec where we discuss all things information all things security and all things information security i'm ben maliso i'm robin cape <laughs> and i'm rafael fiedler and, and that was one of our better introductions ever uh, of any episode um so rafti you don't know this week's guest but robin you do quite a bit Yes, one of the reasons that I'm joining this week is she's one of my favorite people in the world. Oh, see, there you go. Um, now, I, uh, you know, when 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 I first started working with her, I was a subordinate and she had to crack the whip quite a bit. So she has taken on the nickname of Queen Cersei in my book. Um, and, and at first she was a little bit reproached by that. And now I think she's come to own it. I want to introduce uh, Samantha Mulford Phillips. Hello, welcome, Sam. How are you? I am well. Thank you for the welcome. Thank you for the title. <laughs> you, you, you were meant to be royalty, and in fact, you, you're British. I mean, yes, you started as British. I don't know what the hell you are now. Now you're Floridian or something. I'm like a mutt, like anybody else. It's like we're from everywhere. We, you know, we were born here, but we float around the world, and that's quite frankly the way I'd rather have it. So I'm a bit of both. I'm, oh, I'm like, I'll claim, I'll claim any citizenship that's willing to claim me. You know, just at this point. <laughs> Latvia is online too. Okay, so Sam. You and I worked together many years ago at ISC Squared. You are in the training uh, environment. You, this, is, this is your profession. Do you want to give us just a quick thumbnail background bio of uh, where you started and how you ended up uh, teaching nerds? Oh, I love teaching nerds. Can I preface it with that? Okay. Well, my my nerd started at a very young age. So my career was mostly in the K through 12 environment. That's where I began, but it was my So passion. not all that different than teaching CISSPs. <laughs> correct, correct, yeah. correct. So, but that's, that's where the story began. And my love of technology is what bounced me out of that arena, worked at community college, you know, wanted to expand curriculum. And, and do better things. So between floating between New York and then down to Tampa, Florida, which is where I call home now, you know, it's this is a tech haven here for startups. And it was a natural progression for me to jump from academia and then into the corporate world of training because it was just timing. Plus somebody I recently caught up with um, not too long ago said, you predicted online learning was going to be the thing you you were the one who knew that you had to be literate in anything tech to be able to be teaching in the future so i was like wow and she's like you're doing it this is where you're at now which where i am now is with pmi and i create micro credentials for an amazing team called citizen developer 
And PMI, just for those of you uh, who might be listening, uh, one of the three listeners that we have, uh, Project Management Institute, the certifying body for the PMP, the uh, Project Management Professional, which is sort of the gold standard in in all project management, I mean, just about every industry, whether it's uh, engineering, architecture, the PMP is a big one. Uh, it's sort of like a, a, the, the next incarnation of the MBA in our modern world, right? I'd like to think so, and so would our certification team. So thank you for that. <laughs> yes, yes, yes to all those things. So, and, yeah. and realistically, it's an exam on on how to use MS Project, right? That's that's what it is. <laughs> I think those taking it would beg to differ, but yes, it's okay. It's, okay. it's definitely much much more than that. Definitely, think so of your, agile. Your friend said that you predicted online learning. When did you predict that? When did you see the writing on the wall? Well, it was more born out of a need for what I was learning from my own students in the classroom. It's, you know, I think we we tend to take away devices in classrooms now, which I I I agree but disagree. It needs to be a functional element of the classroom and it needs to be a functional element of learning. So I just couldn't get enough of tech tools. I was embracing everything I could to throw in front of my students because they wanted to learn the way they needed to learn. And I wanted to give them that capability to be able to grow, think outside the box. Then, of course, Common Core Standards came along and kind of wiped away a lot of our time to do what we needed to do. But my love for tech was where I kept saying we need to engage. And our European teachers were way ahead of us and, you know, limited resources, but they were practically falling over themselves to, to engage with Microsoft, to engage with any kind of developer for any kind of software program that they could put in front of their students and engage around the world. So it was really that love of tech and knowing that students needed to support one another virtually that really that's that's where my thought process came. I, I just knew that at some point, yeah, didn't didn't know COVID was going to happen, but <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> new, that was kind of a jump start learning. for the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. So even, even back, I would guess back in the mid '90s, you know, when we first started trying to incorporate computers into the classrooms, and it was done horribly. It was like grafted on to 18th century learning modes. Uh, it, I, you know, I had the public school background too, as well. And, and um, you're right; we made kids keep their cell phones out of the classroom, keep their tablets out of it, which seems absolutely counterintuitive to what we want to do. We want to teach them how they're going to learn, right? Or how they're going to work and how they're going to live. You know, exactly. and this, these tools are, are more important than that. Um, when did you get over to ISC Squared? When did you start with them? Because you were there already when I, when I started teaching there. Uh, yes, 2016, 2015, right in that pocket. Because, yeah, yeah, I was bouncing out of academia. I was, again, St. Leo University. I'll give them a, a shout out because they were one of the first to create online learning courses and most especially for a military audience. But that's, I was an instructional designer there. Then I bounced over to ISC Square because, again, their education department needed somebody to help with the instructors. <laughs> Wait a second. Those instructors were the best instructors ever. We were so easy to get along with. We never gave you any trouble. And this mm -hmm. is why Sam is one of my favorite people because she actually <laughs> put up with Ben and allowed him to have a functional career. What was it? Six <laughs> years? Seven years? Something like that? Yeah. Felt like an eternity. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, but but realistically, when you got all the student feedback forms back, they mm -hmm. all liked my class. I don't know if they learned anything, but they all liked my classes, right? <laughs> did they did? And when we were face to face, when we used to do the the workshops uh, for summit after summit before summit, those training workshops, I I came into your classrooms many times, and he gave out candy. That was that was how he placated the audience. It was candy. So bribery works still. Bribery kickbacks. I'm all about the corruption. There's just nothing wrong with. It. I mean, our whole podcast is based on nepotism. It's me and Robin. You know, I mean, <laughs> shit. Yeah, if it works, go for it. Mm -hmm. um, exactly. All right. So now I, I want to give an apology. Usually, when we do the podcast, we have at least two other members here, Matt and Joey. Uh, unfortunately, they're in Kentucky. They had some really bad, brutal weather this past weekend, and they're helping clean up and set up uh, everybody, uh, all their clients, and so forth. Um, but they're both ISC squared members. They both are uh, certified, and um, I, I want—I kind of wanted their insight. Rafti, as well as, as much as he is in the information security and privacy space, he is not certified. He doesn't want anyone to have his name and home address, which which I totally understand. I appreciate that. Um, but Rafti, from uh, an, an outside perspective, a non-certified perspective, do you have any questions about? Um, the teaching of the material that leads to certification, because Sam is kind of an expert in all that. Wow, that interesting. Well, <laughs> the funny thing is, we actually talked about this, um, like in my company a couple of weeks ago about certification and who sort of like should get one or stuff like that. Um, I have to admit, like it's around here, like I'm based in Europe. Um, some, I think we have some other certifications we typically try to get. Um, ISO so, or... yeah, no, of course, <laughs> of course, ISO. I have ISO certificates, you know, <laughs> this is where I'm coming from. <laughs> but um, yeah, and I think from the material, that's partly why when I, when I had a look at uh, one of practice, uh, this uh, all looked very familiar to me, um, but no, ISC squared is, uh, I have like, uh, I, I'm very interested, but I don't have any opinions yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, do you have any questions about how to deliver training to professionals looking to get certified? Ooh, Think on that um, one. If you come up with anything, we'll, we'll pester Sam with that. <laughs> great. Um, Stan, what do you see as the biggest challenges? I mean, yes, technology is great. It can reach distances. Um, we can time it better for working professionals so that we don't have to do it in the middle of the day. We don't all have to come together in a room at a conference and eat bad food. So tech, tech is wonderful. What are the downsides? What's the flip side to trying to deliver quality training? online through you know all the different tools we have the zoom and the in the teams and all the other crap you hit the nail on the head it's delivery modality and a seamless user experience that's that's really what people are after it needs to be fast it needs to be interactive engaging a lot of value but people don't want to have to deal with um an LMS breaking down or, you know, a code not working or I can't access my curriculum. The seamless experience between you purchasing your course, engaging, whether it be an instructor led or whether it be an on demand seminar type material, it's got to be a value to keep someone engaged. You see users go through a journey if they're doing like an eight hour course, the dropout is halfway through. 
And then people oh, don't right. want to take the exam. They don't want to get that. It's like, okay, what's going to keep me motivated? So delivery and, and retention is, is very, and by that, I don't mean just literally like, you know, people memorizing information, but it's like retaining them in the course so that they understand its value. But I mean, I'd love to say to Rafi, come and take one of our PMI micro credentials. You know, it's quick, it's easy. It may be something that will give you a teaser and a taste that leads to a certification like PMP or CAPM. So, okay. Have we gotten spoiled then? I mean, you said, you know, if a code doesn't work, or if a, we used to travel thousands of miles and spend five days in a classroom for eight hours a day. The fact that we can't go click, click, click and receive our training through a pipe like a gerbil. I mean, is that is that a, is this just us being overly expectant of, of good quality on demand? I think sometimes yes and sometimes no. The way technology is moving, you would expect more. You would expect better. You know, improvements in, in a lot of systems have helped. But you're right. I think because we live in a prime now society, it's like we want it delivered fast. It needs to be accurate. I don't need to click around or I'm gone because the competition's out there to make it better. So. Yeah. If if our experience isn't good, we're going to be able to talk about it. And I can say, quite honestly, recently we had somebody say, you know, this wasn't quite as good an experience as I needed it to be. We were right on the phone with him. I mean, everybody from our product department with this this customer and say, what can we do to improve? What what can we do? You know, because if you're not engaging, if you're not knowing exactly what your customer is telling you, then They'll go somewhere else. I have to say from the perspective of a student, because I'm in an online program right now, um, and I have tried them in the past, and I've had a similar experience where I get halfway through and it's not engaging me, and I don't feel like I have much invested in it. I'm sitting in my bed, I'm tuning into this class, um, you know, streaming it or clicking through it. But it's so easy to walk away from it. So I have to imagine some of it is the environment. And if you are not constantly hooking people, especially in the TikTok era where people are expecting something new every eight seconds, you're going to lose focus. What's That's your attrition rate? What's your dropout rate on that? Um, honestly, I wouldn't say there's a really a dropout rate. It's because we have the way our micro credentials are set up. It's you can take the course. You have as infinite amount of time course access, but the exams, they tend to it's it will drop off after 6 months. So if you haven't completed to Robin's point, it's like, I don't want to do this all in 1 swoop. You know, I don't want to take the exam. They people don't tend to take the exam because it drops off. We can reinstate it and they can take a retake. You know, it's like they didn't fail, but. Honestly, it's to your point, it's the engagement. I feel that if we had more of a study group environment, um, more interaction, people encouraging one another, if there's that feedback and that that constant back and forth between other folks that are in the course, so that to Robin's point, it makes it valuable. It's an engaging experience. I'm invested now because other people are inspiring me and how they're using it. Other people's experiences tend to encourage us to want more, to, to, to see more, to do more. But I wouldn't say we have a horrible dropout rate. It's more a completion. You know, it's still there, still available. So it's. Okay. It's All right. So of, of the number of people who complete a course, how many go on to take the test? 
A majority of them do. It's more good. claiming. That's their good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A majority of them do. And again, we have ways of being able to ask, you know, what's what's going on? What do you need? How can we help? You know, we're constantly engaging as far as that customer is concerned to help them finish that, complete that. What's what's it going to take to help you to do this so that you can get awarded this? Because it's going to enhance your career. You're going to gain more skills. You're and if you we went through the damn class already, just go take the test. Just do it. Well, test, do it. test anxiety is huge. You know that. How many students, Robin, you know, how many times did you have to get talked off the ledge because you didn't want to take that exam piece? You're fearful. I mean, we've even got um, opportunities now where you can have a safe fail because most people are afraid of failing. You know, that's that's the biggest, biggest problem. So you, so you get two bites at the apple for just taking the class. I mean, that's you get a freebie. That's Not awesome. necessarily that... freebie. There's there's a safe fail. So it's like a very reduced rate. If you do happen to reduce rate retake would probably okay. be the best way of expressing it. That's so that's, they they, yeah. they pay for the exam. They fail it. They get a reduced rate on, on the retake. Yeah. yeah, that's that's encouraging. That's really that. Yeah. Because uh, especially with the, you know, you and I both know the ISC squared exams is, is six, seven, eight hundred dollars. That's a daunting experience. I mean, no wonder people are are ready to go to extremes to try to pass it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think in some ways, if people are encouraged to learn, and then you do that knowledge check comprehension, you keep testing them and quizzing them along the way, and just help them. You've got to practice. It's again building confidence is huge. Okay. And and what do you hear from your students in terms of feedback? How are they feeling about it? You know, you already talked about some of the complaints, you know, that uh, my code doesn't work. My browser won't play nice with your LMS, but what do you, what do you hear the substantive complaints about um, the, the content itself or <laughs> the delivery? It's more on the delivery side than it is on the content. Our content we've heard, everybody loves it. You know, it's like, but as, as with any, any, LMS, any delivery system, there are glitches and it may not be your issue on your side. It could be, you know, an interaction with their hardware, software timing, you know, it's like to what we talked of earlier, you know, people want everything so quickly that maybe within a 24 hour cycle data has to move around. And that's a lot of data that's moving in the background. So processing that in a time in a global timeliness, you know, it, it can take time sometimes the way systems update. So that's that would be its delivery. Most of the time, the content, it's valuable, it's relevant, it's very tangible. And honestly, it's easy. You you can come and go and you can pick it up later. You know, it's just but it's engaging enough that you'll be motivated to to learn and continue. We also decided that we break them up into mini courses. So we took our modules and literally done like what most people do, 30 minutes, one hour, so that it breaks it down rather than a full, you know, okay, you're gonna sit here for eight hours and engage and then take an exam. No, take your time. You know, it's a lot more digestible. It's easier to consume. Yes. Um, yes. all right, so what Robin was saying, I think is spot on with the mm-hmm. online learning. It's way too easy to look at it like television where, you know, I might be half listening or paying attention. I might be doing something else. I, you know, um, how have you learned any tips and tricks for your content creators or in content delivery to make it more engaging and interactive? Cause it can be hard for the, I know from the instructor side, 
when you're talking to a PowerPoint slide online, it's hard to be sure that your students are even paying attention. You know, if they're not engaging, if they're not talking back, if they're not chatting, you have no way of knowing as an instructor whether they're listening, whether they're taking out the trash, or whether they're painting their nails, you know? Um, Agreed. So, <laughs> have you found that. any tips and tricks for that? Yes, yes. More along the lines, we don't deliver, it's not a PowerPoint delivery method. Oh my goodness, you know, I, again, I think I heard something recently. If everything in your organization is delivered by PowerPoint, run run you know it's like we need to be moving beyond that right hey now. hey hey you're <laughs> knocking my business model here woman okay well we can help you with that i know there's a low code no code application <laughs> that can help you with that um but honestly uh what we found um is really connect to your your core audience value make sure you are connecting to if again PMI, we're a member organization. So what do our members want to see? What's the core value that they, ha they have in, you know, engaging with any kind of your certification material? But we started a scenario-based learning, and I feel that that kind of immerses you in that experience. It doesn't just walk you into, you know, knowledge or content. It immerses you in it. It's, okay, here's your scenario. Let's role play this. Let's put you in this act, actually this experience so you know how to react. And obviously then there's quiz questions based upon that. But we created scenarios that really connected to our talent triangle and our skills-based learning that really helped improve that value. So that honestly, most people wanted something that they could implement and a tangible takeaway. So it's like, how does this relate to me? Don't just tell me it relates to me. Show so like a narrative through line where you tell them, you know, you're working for company X, company X makes this, this yeah. is the problem you face. How do you address this problem? And, and it's something that is a little more coherent and realistic than just the academic philosophical underpinnings, right? Exactly. exactly. I did that. Okay. Yeah. 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 Right. It works. It works. Plus, you know the the value of like easter eggs you know planting things throughout courses so that you know gamifying anything gamifying you said you know it's like watching tv you know well how do people consume content you have to be in touch with what's what's working what's not not just necessarily video 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 um they've got to see things consistently and it also improves that retention and then they're looking so it's like okay be mindful of the total experience and be mindful that all learners learn differently. There's got to be something there for everybody. All right. So I got to admit this, and this is a terrible thing. I really don't like this. I got very lucky. I got lucky that I was raised in the Midwest, um, that, you know, my father was a gregarious salesman type person. So I got kind of the, 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 the vocal intonations and I got the person, the, the, the personality kind of that make training more accessible mm -hmm. than if I had a heavy accent that was less common or less understood. Um, so a lot of whether students like my training comes down to my voice and my delivery, which is not fair to anyone. I know I'm not the smartest person. I know I don't know the most about IT or about uh, tech altogether. Mm -hmm. um, is there a way that we can find this surmountable somehow 
or are we just stuck with personality driven quality to some extent where certain instructor instructors are going to be seen as better delivery than other instructors simply because of their physical characteristics? Oh, there's so much to be said there. I always used to tell instructors whenever I was auditing a class, it's like you have your own unique delivery style and students are going to learn from you with whatever you know capability that is, whatever your unique gift is that you share. I agree there are certain instructors that are more personable, like yourself, because uh. they come across very warm and it's authentic. Honestly, you want somebody you can believe in, you know, if they tell the relevant stories, if they're relatable, it's that's that's what it but, is, you know, but we know it's hokum. We know that's a shortcoming. I mean, seriously, again, I'm not the smartest, but just because I don't have a speech impediment, people are going to listen to me more than someone who's smarter, who has a harder time delivering. That's not fair. It doesn't make sense. It's, it's a shortcoming in terms of the overall delivery and in terms of the student experience. Is there a way that we can defeat that? It's not fair unless we put an avatar in the room. I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of digital trickery, I would like to say, that that comes along with when, you know, we've got advanced technology now. You know, we we can give you an Is chat GPT gonna put us all out of business? <laughs> it just might. It just might. You've seen the power, power of AI. It's amazing. You know, it's like it's seriously ask anything. I'm like, we, we, we've been playing with it a lot as a team. So it's been a lot of fun. But seriously, you can, you know, you can make yourself into something that you're not and make it believable. But again, I would question where's that authenticity? You know, there, there's, there's a robot and then there's a human. There, there's, there's a fine line there at a certain point. And I know universities are like racing to, to kind of quantify and qualify. Okay, what can be used? What can't be used? And how do we keep up with this? Because yeah, people are passing the bar. From what I understand, it's, it's crazy. They're so. going to fall into the uncanny valley, and it's going to be, it's going to be a hard uphill slog for a while. Um, <laughs> and hopefully that'll all take place long after I'm gone and don't need the income anymore. Um, <laughs> Uh, but but do you see a way to normalize delivery beyond technical trickery or? I honestly, I don't know the secret, but I do know there's a really cool guy who does do, I can't remember his name. I'm going to say Jamie. Um, have you ever heard of Herman International? Um, no. A good friend of mine, Herman International, uh, work with Jamie. Um, he works in the metaverse. And again, it's, it's, it's really like an alternate re reality. And it is the fine line between what's technologically trickery and what really works, but it does work more in terms of, as Herman International would propose, um, whole brain learning. So again, it really addresses more authentically what you as a unique user need to get from the experience. So it's highly personalized. So it, it just, it thinks the way you need to think, you know, you learn the way again, Back to where I originally started with my career. It's like, I want people to learn the way they need to learn. They need to absorb content on their terms, the way their learning style is, is suited best. And that's a delicious irony. To get to that authenticity of the whole brain learning, we have to put them into an alternate reality that is wholly artificial. <laughs> that's really cool. I mean, and that's neat. Maybe, maybe that's the thing is disassociate yourself from normal human interaction in order to allow yourself to absorb more information in a way that you might not have otherwise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
okay. Learning is unique to the user. That's that's the way I think. Learning is very unique to the user. It has to be a personal experience. Or to Robin's point, I'm watching TV. What am I gaining out of this? I'm walking away. You know. So as a student, we've we've got to be on our toes, not on our heels. I think education in general has been on that on their heels, and now students are demanding we're on our toes. Yeah, teaching as an industry is. It, it, we're 150 years back, realistically. Yeah, I'm with you. Mm -hmm. um, Rafti, have you thought of anything that you'd like to ask Sam? Are you just in <laughs> you just enjoying the conversation? I, I'm enjoying the conversation, and I'm also a little bit confused that you think that like your personality, what you bring into like sort of a class, is something which you are thinking of maybe to reduce or something. Uh, no, what, am I getting this I'm wrong? Is, what I'm saying is I have an unfair advantage that does not serve the optimum learning potential. If someone knows more than me and they can't convey it as well as I can, that doesn't make sense. That's, that's, that's a disservice to the learners. Um, we should find a way to optimize everybody to be able to teach at the same level, at the highest level. I'm not saying stifle the people who are entertaining. I'm saying bring everybody else up and there's gotta be a way to do that. Well, I think for, the, for those yeah. soft skills, it's hard to teach, but there are things you can do to condition yourself to be better at it. Um, mm -hmm. Like as a teenager, I was kind of shy and awkward, so I took improv classes and it helped me to open up more. Um, and that can help with communication, with developing a sense of humor and cultivating that within a particular culture. Um, you know, like Toastmasters, we have some friends that are part of Toastmasters to help improve their formal presentation skills. Um, you know, I think it's just uh, more training for the trainers. And it's great. And you can train people to do that. You sometimes run into, you know, as the soft skills go, one of the, and Sam, you know this as well as anybody, uh, classroom management is the number one gauge of success of whether a training is going to actually go well or not. And that's something that's pretty much based on intuition and feeling. If you can't read the room, and nerds are terrible with this. We know so yep. many people who've tried to make a joke that not only doesn't, it doesn't just fall flat, it offends half the room. And they think they're being, you know, innocuous or charming. And in fact, they're, they've just turned off half the learners. Um, that's almost impossible to teach because it's so deep seated in, in somebody's background and experience and, and personality. And then what do you do? Beat, beat it out of them and say, don't try to ever crack a joke. You know, that doesn't work either. You know, chilling effect. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that my program does that I thought was really clever. Um, so for each of the synchronous courses where we're all sitting down for a lecture over zoom, um, they have the instructor, um, usually one person, but they also have a couple of what they call learning facilitators who are monitoring chat, um, looking through questions that people are submitting that it's, it's not popping up on the screen, but then they'll kind of, um, you know, prompt the instructor at a certain point to pause and go to the questions and, and we can upvote questions too, so that the most popular ones are getting addressed in the lecture. And it creates not only um, a, a more interactive environment for the students, but you have someone else who is able to focus strictly on classroom management. 
and allow the instructor to focus on teaching, but kind of curate this environment. Um, and it seems to work really well. And that's neat. You're, and, and then you're kind of like crowdsourcing the interaction with the professor too, because the mm -hmm. upvote score tells you most of the class wants to know the answer to this thing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And the stuff that doesn't get addressed in class, we have a forum that we can go to and, uh, you know, get points that's gamified. So. Mm -hmm. That's that works, Robin. I agree. Even when I present webinars now, I, I'm always like they ask, well, should we hold questions to the very end? I'm like, no, no, people want to talk. They want to engage. They have a question. They want to answer it now. It's it, it's part of that experience. It's like it helps. Then they're going to want to stay longer to hear more. It, it just you have to engage. You have to make sure that they're part of that experience and bring them in. You know, I nobody likes a talking head that just goes on and on and on. You just you want to have that group effect. You're in a and conversation. If and if there's no interactivity, they might as well watch a video, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I'm to that point, I'm curious in an online space versus in classroom learning. Do the instructors need to take a different approach to the way they are presenting the material? Like, what are some of the key differences that are important there? Or is it really just that technology is enhancing the ability to deliver information? You can't throw candy online. I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> well, virtual candy, Ben. You, you can send gift cards and who knows what. You can get virtual, virtual, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I've exactly. done gold stars actually. There you go. Okay, there you go. There you go. Yeah, it just, I don't, there's, there's a number of different techniques, I think, but I think better training Robin to your point in question is like, if we're still using PowerPoints, <laughs> sorry, um, better training, better delivery. It just something because it just, and it's not just jazzing it up. So it's animated or, you know, oh, zingers or whatever that no people see through that. Yeah. We're past that. We're past that at this point. Again, I think it's more, I mean, you've been Ben and you know, this, you've been in labs, you know, especially when we're talking it. It's got to be something that again, you're, you're touching, you're, you're implementing, you're physically doing, and you need that constant, you know, got to check in. Yes. There's a lecture component. There's, there's gotta be that piece of that learning. Here's why you're learning what you're learning, but then there's that physically doing we're, we're more at a do stage. You know, when, when I talk citizen developer, we have a practitioner course. It's for the doers. It's like here, here's the thought leadership. Here's the knowledge. How do we get you to say, I'm going to take my project to the next level because I'm going to implement these type of methods in order to automate, in order to build something better, in order to transform my organization with the power of digital transformation. Are, are labs and simulations a big part of the training then? And, and is that a good way to reach into the interactivity? Uh, we haven't incorporated them yet, but I would love to do that. So, um, no, but I think the case studies, like I said before, in the scenario builds, that is more the immersion point. We're exploring now ways to add on tools and, and have those implementation tools of like, okay, here's the concept we taught in class. Here's the concept you've learned. Now bring it to life with this particular tool that will help it you know, help you take it to the next level. You'll actually physically be able to assess and test, okay, is this gonna work? You know, am I gonna be able to transform my project with citizen development? Because is this going to actually work for us in this particular scenario? So 
it's it's more of an add-on. We're we're now incorporating more of that, and we have vendors that build fantastic workflows and tools for yeah us too. So, all right, all right, very good. Um, you know, Sam, I love that the longer a conversation with you we have, the more Britishisms work into your uh, conversation, and the more we get to hear the accent come out a little bit. So I, I'm tempted to keep you on the line. I, I know that we have a, a limited amount of time, but um, uh, this was fantastic. Uh, as as I think we're ready to wrap up, is there anything in particular you'd like to convey to our audience of three to five listeners um, about products that you're offering, new things on the horizon, where they can go to get your products? Come to PMI.com, come to PMI.org, look specifically for citizen developer. We have a suite of learning courses that is going to upskill you and transform you and your organization. So I would I would come to us not just for skills based training for certification based training. Yes, Ben, you were right. PMI gold standard of certification training for project managers and a member based organization. Come join us. Come see what we're all about and how we're changing the way we do certain things and how we are looking forward to the future. You know, with more social impact in mind. So yeah, but thank you for having me too. I really love this. Um, how about you come back again in six months and give us another update on how things are going? I'd love to. That would be Outstanding. amazing. Outstanding. Excellent. Um, well, thank you again. Until next time, I'm Ben Maliso. I'm Robin Cave. I'm Rafael Peter. Join us again next week for another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec. Hey there, listener. Matt here. If you like listening to Ben, Robin, Rofty, Joey, or myself, please consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash securitized. Interested in training for CISSP, CCSP, CISM, SSCP, CCSK, boy, that's a lot of letters, or other InfoSec certifications, Go to Ben's website for all his training programs at wannabeacissp.com. That's spelled W-A-N-N-A-B-E-A-C-I-S-S-P.com. We are on Discord. Engage with us by searching for the channel wannabeacissp. Feedback or questions on what we discuss? Send a good old-fashioned email to ben at benmaliso.com. You may hear a shout-out or your feedback on a future show. We're all working professionals in the InfoSec industry, so feel free to link up with us on LinkedIn. Support Rofty's company and test drive their free firewall software called Portmaster, downloadable at their website, safing.io, spelled S-A-F-I-N-G dot I-O. Support Joey's company, Blue Edge Networks, at blueedgenetworks.com. And listen to Joey's podcast called Topic of Choice at topicofchoice.com. Join us on Reddit at slash r slash ssoi underscore fans. All opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and for entertainment purposes only. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions of our companies, affiliates, employers, guests, or even each other. 
No advice given here should be followed without consulting with a professional for any specific InfoSec situation you may experience.